0: Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. Your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right-of-center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African-American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter. Please go to acons.substack.com. That's where you will find links to this podcast. We hope you will subscribe, uh, as well as our social media platforms and our commentary. So we are... Hopeful that you will go to acons.substack.com and also consider being a financial contributor and sustainer to our show so that we can continue to bring you more great content, like today. Today, we have Charles Love. He is the uh, Executive Director of Seeking Educational Excellence, host of the Charles Love Show, and also the co-host of the Cut the Bull podcast. He is a scholar at the 1776 Unites Project, a contributing writer at City Journal, and the author of several books, including his latest, Race Crazy, BLM, 1619, and the Progressive Racism Movement. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, your Cut the Bull podcast, which you co-host with our friend, Wilfred Riley, who's been here a few times, and Shamika Michelle, is a very successful podcast. Uh, How did the three of you with very different personalities meet, and how did the podcast get started?
1: Well, uh, we kind of came together. I've always uh, liked talking to Will. He had come on my show a couple of times, and I reached out to him one day and said, Uh, would you be interested in doing a podcast? I got this idea for a podcast with these different uh, personalities come together. And he was like, sure. Matter of fact, I was thinking about doing it, just never had time to do it. So that would be great. So Will and I got together and said, who would be the third? What is going to be the idea that's kind of different about this podcast? And, you know, a, a lot of things happen where you're still successful, but it kind of changes a bit from the original plan. Because ideally, It was going to be like Will, the academic, me, a regular guy, and someone else, like maybe a liberal, or we wanted a woman, and we wanted to have somebody else so we can have an interesting dynamic and different um, background and views of the host, in addition to the guests that come on. But we reached out to people, and they were all game on Twitter. Yeah, I would love to come out and debate you people on how you're wrong on being conservatives or whatever. But then we're like, that's cool. And I DM them and say, you want to do it? Well, and no one really wanted to do it. So we're like, all right, doesn't seem like the having the the liberal as a third voice is going to work. So but it would be nice to have a woman. And, and Shamika was, you know, doing her thing with walk away. And I saw her out there and I reached out to her and said, uh, asked if she wanted to join us. And she thought about it and she was like, Yeah, you know, she had had a couple offers because, you know, she was doing really well. She's like, It was mostly a bunch of women. And she, you know, as you can see by the way she talked, she didn't want to be on the feminist show with a bunch of women, yeah. you know, debating. So she's like, Yeah, let's do it. And the interesting thing about it with, with a show like that, even having interesting viewpoints is definitely important, important but it doesn't guarantee that everything's going to work. Maybe the personalities don't mesh. And so we started, we, we, we thought about it and we didn't do a bunch of meetings and conversations and a get to know you session. We just said, let's just start <laughs> doing some interviews and see what happens. And so you if you've seen the um, podcast or listened, you know how irreverent and blunt Shamika can be. So we were learning things in real time, like the guest when she would just say things. It was just like, wow, where'd that come from? So it just kind of worked out. We had a great rapport and uh, it grew from there.
0: Now, you have had a long list of pretty impressive guests. I mean, like Tucker Carlson and Glenn Lowry. Uh, Glenn Lowry's been on on our show. Uh, To more leftist figures like Michael Schellenberger and Jason Nichols. Who are some of the people and personalities that you'd like to speak to?
1: I want to talk to, I mean, so the whole point for me was to, you know, my idea was to have long form interviews so you can, because, because this might sound crazy coming from a conservative standpoint, but I think that everyone really is obviously conservatives more, but everyone's treated unfairly in the media today when they're trying to make a comment about whatever their issue is. And it doesn't mean that I agree with it. It's just that you can't. No one's good enough. Some are better than others, but no one's good enough to make a salient point and convince people to come on their side or to at the very least understand the argument they're making. In two minutes, you go on TV, two to four minutes plus the host gets to speak, so that's a limited time. Or you go on radio, which is better. You get an eight to ten minute segment, but the host is speaking, so really you only talk about four minutes. So I said, like, what if we had an hour, where we can talk about unpack a book or a topic or whatever, and have a real conversation, a back and forth about it? So that was one key. And then the type of person I wanted to have people who wrote books or who are authorities on certain issues, which is good. We can all learn something. And I want people with opposing views. So the idea, it's funny you mentioned that, originally the plan was to have a lot of liberals on the shelf so they can define in better um, context the things that they want to do, how they fix America, how they fix racism, how they do whatever. And it's, it's really hard to get them on. And when we do, uh, with, with a few exceptions, most of them are liberals, but no one who's like, very left on issues and and, and i started to understand that's more difficult anyway not because of their views but you know i'll talk to anyone it's because they don't really want to have an open debate so they you know yelling at each other and arguing and that's just you know not a good productive podcast so i ideally like to talk to anyone who has interesting things to say anyone who disagrees with me as long as they're open to talk about why um ideally people who's truly want to solve the problem as opposed to just yelling about a problem and then people who can enlighten the 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 listeners and the viewers on different topics so whether it's medicine or whether it's the middle east or topics that most people don't really they they would want to know more about but they're not that uh interested in it because they don't know enough about it so they can learn a little bit more about it so um really we're open to everything because i think that we are moving away from civic engagement and many people don't understand the way the system works anymore. So the more information we can bring to people the better off.
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think that there's you know uh, talking heads that just kind of yell at each other and scream over each other. I mean when you see the three panels on TV, you know you've got everybody talking all over each other and no one's making any points that you know the viewer can understand. Uh, and it's all about just getting yourself out there self-promotion, um, and this is such a small space, you know, and so it is really hard to get in a true engaging of the minds, you know, uh, particularly on the left, there's a lot of name calling, and, you know, it devolves into this, well, you're stupid, and your ideas are stupid, too, and it's kind of like, um, facts, maybe, or, you know, do you want to back that up of course you know these are folks that believe that men can be girls and have periods and so you can't even bring science into it anymore so well well the
1: part of it too <laughs> let me say to that though part of it is also about solutions let's say, even where we agree that there's a problem no one, to be fair to everyone, no one, if I watch MSNBC or Fox or whatever, no one's talking about what we do to solve the problem because they, it's not their fault. They don't have time. So all they can do is is let you know, that, alert you that there's a problem. This is happening in our schools. And then they go away. And then we're all looking like, okay, so what do we do? And we yeah. don't know. So talking about solutions. And then you talked about the trans issue. I, you talked about what kind of people we want on. I put a call out. No one's responding yet. Please, people, to someone who, because we've had uh, – a transgender person on who obviously thinks what's happening in schools is bad. We've had detransitioners. So to be fair, I want somebody who is a trans activist who think it's great, who think it's better for their health, who, who wants people to be able to have uh, children, that have puberty blockers, the whole nine, to come on and explain it to me. And I don't are you attacked? I mean, it won't be an argument. It's like, you need to sell people on, you know, explain it clearly. You have a whole hour to tell people why you think it's beneficial to that individual, but also to society. And we'll have questions and pushback. We're not going to attack and call the person crazy, but I want to hear what they have to say. That's not in a soundbite. See if you can convince me.
0: Exactly. And to be able to present uh, why they believe what they believe, but I found generally speaking on the left because there isn't much substance, they have difficulty in doing that. And that's why it it tends to be sort of an argument or argumentative uh, back and forth rather than a true exchange of ideas because there really isn't a lot to stand on. If you say, well, okay, if gender is a construct and it's fluid, um, then how can you say that you were a man and now you're a woman if there isn't such a thing as a woman? Right. So then it's got a uh, uh, commercial break. So, you know. right,
1: right. But there's but, but no benefit to it. Uh, yeah. You know, the problem with social media is you get clicks for how interesting, funny, mean um, outside the norms, yes. uh, how it, all these different types of things, that's what make people listen and, and share things. So you don't have to come up with a solution because that's I mean, no one's going to have a a long back and forth. No one's going to read the third, fourth, fifth tweet in a thread, you know, so there's no incentive to actually making a clear statement and thinking things through. You just throw something out there and then just leave it there. So because there's no incentive, people don't do it.
0: That's true. Now, what inspired you to write your latest book, Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement?
1: Well, obviously something happened the weekend of Memorial Day in 2020. It's been so long and hazy. I don't remember. I think some guy was uh, killed in police custody or something. And the country lost its collective mind. It, it was like, uh, it. I saw it and thought, does it really matter what your views are on what happened, whether that police officer should go to jail, whatever? Do do you really think it's okay to tear the complete the, the country down completely because of that instance? Obviously, it was a combination of people sitting at home because of COVID and they were remote and they were able to do out march, all this stuff. But obviously, I'd already had issues with BLM, which we can get into, but this was different. It was like people, really intelligent and compassionate people, Started to have really simple uh ideas on, on how you approach stuff. So they were saying, wow, what happened here is bad. Um, and because that's bad, um I think I want to give a bunch of money to some organization that I don't know anything about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh so what are they doing? I don't know. Like I think one of the points I made is, and I tried to use two examples from any political extreme, so you don't think this is a conservative talking point. If you, and I think I use the NRA and Planned Parenthood. So if you are a pro-gun guy, you wanna donate money to, to uh, the NRA, or you think you care about women's reproductive rights and you wanna donate money to Planned Parenthood. Obviously people with differing, differing views think that's bad and think those organizations are bad, but that's not my issue with BLM. My issue is if you take Planned Parenthood whether you like it or not, Planned Parenthood will lay out exactly what the point of their organization is on their website. This is what we do. They will say what kind of services we provide. If you give us money, they tell you what they're gonna do with money. You know, you go to NRA, same thing. You go to BLM, there was none of that. It was just, there's a place for you to donate for sure, but no idea about where the money went. In fact, I, t- I, I talked about how little, I haven't been on in a while, but at the time I was going on periodically because they would pull stuff based on what happened in the media. But everybody remembers the, the nuclear family piece. And people on the right talked about that all, all the time. It's like, yeah, that was bad or whatever. The bigger issue is that it was a or an organization created and designed and focused solely on police brutality and they never talked about police. Don't look it up now. I'm not. I can't guarantee you because I haven't been on in a while. But you used to go. You can go click on every link, and they never talked about police brutality. So that what are you donating money to? Even if you think police brutality is bad and you want to solve it, you have no idea where your money is going. So that was <laughs> the, the white guilt of it. The white people saying, "Well, I have to do something because this doesn't change unless you do." It. You know that. That's what made me start to write about it and the responses I get from white liberals. Who would talk to you as if, well, you don't know what it's like to be black? You know, they say things like that. They don't, even, they don't even realize they're saying it, right? It wasn't even a white right thing. It was like, well, it's it's really hard out here for blacks. Oh, really? Tell me how. Well, you know, like I had a I had a coworker once tell me. Uh, I'm trying to think if this was after that. Or not. I'm not sure. You know, totally, you know, reasonable, very kind woman. and She was like, but you know blacks can't rent city bikes you know you know she was like the <laughs> bikes you know you know, she, you know it's, it's all this racism I so us give me an example it's like like they're not as many uh bikes uh, uh what do you call those things because i don't use them the, yeah the, the, i know what you're course, talking course. about yeah but they're not as many of them on the, this was in chicago on the southwest side as they are in like Wrigleyville. i'm like i don't have to research that i know you're right it's 100 true that not as many but it may be racism. I don't know for a fact it's not, so I'm not gonna lie and say what I don't know. But I will say you need to include one of, these two other factors. My assumption is that these two factors are much larger than racism. Though racism may play part. Uh, I said, but maybe, just maybe, I don't know. Whites tend to be more likely to rent the bikes Yes. The demand is, but even more, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that's because it's not in the neighborhood. Okay. The density in Wrigleyville where on the South and West side, with with the exception of a few apartments, most people live in, you know, small apartment units, six units or single family homes. In Wrigleyville, everybody lives in high rises. So you put it in front of a building with 300 units. That's a lot of people who have that demand for the bike. You put it on the corner of a, of a neighborhood that's just solo houses, so there are with, in, in proximity within a block, let's say, of those two bike racks. There you have 400 people, and there you have 4,000 people. Maybe that's why there are more bikes.
0: And in more densely populated areas, to your point, you know, generally you're within walking distance of, you know, the bodega or whatever it is that you need. So, you know, why would you run a city bike to go a, a, a block or two blocks? So, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's just that, you know, if you if you, you know, as people say all the time, if you have a hammer, you see everything as a nail. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're never going to be wrong because there will be nails, right? And then you find a nail and you say, see? But the problem is if you really want to find a solution to a problem and you're only willing to put one possible pro- uh, um, reason for that problem on the board. So you list all of the possible uh, issues that could be causing that problem and you only put racism, you never solve it when it's not racism. Okay. Now, I may argue that it's only racism 6% of the time. You may say 70% of the time. But even in your number, you're ignoring 30% of the time. And it's not 70.
0: Yeah. You know, to your point about BLM, though, the thing that I have said, and it feels like every week I say this, but, you know, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I only remember that BLM wrote Black Lives Matter. They had it painted really large on a street um and they bought the mansions which only benefited the organizers not anybody else that was black so can you tell me some examples of anything else that they did for the black community
1: oh easy come on now you're being unfair they when, when they um uh who was the guy i keep saying asap rocky but it wasn't but when the guy who was a rapper uh, who, who had uh, ironically been born in, in the UK and people didn't know, it, but he lived, he was a rapper from Atlanta and he got caught up with something with his cousin and when the police pulled him up over, they found out that he was illegal and they were going to deport him. They raised money. They had an awareness program. Mike Tyson came to an event. They did all kinds of stuff to keep him in the country. Oh, that's okay. my list. I was done. That's the, Okay. That, I that's, I was going to say,
0: okay, all right. That's right <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, because you know, yeah, I that's fully what they expected, yeah. I fully expected that you know we would see scholarships to HBCUs. That yeah. got more of us in the criminal justice system where we would be, you know, judges and parole officers and correctional officers and um, wardens and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That didn't happen. Nope. Uh, you know, nope. I didn't see any funerals being paid for. I mean, I saw a couple people like LeBron James and Tyler Perry pay for some funerals. I didn't see Black Lives Matter pay for any funerals. You know, nope. I didn't see anything. The, the, there was a man that was gunned down in front of his child in, I think it was New York, somewhere on the East Coast. And not only did they not pay for the dad's funeral, but I didn't see um, a, a college scholarship fund established for the little seven-year-old child that he left behind. None of that.
1: Oh, you go, you, you're you going too so, far. Yeah, there were even people who left the, the organization <laughs> as members because they said the money didn't trickle down to the membership. So we're we're, we're a chapter in Chicago, and you just raised $40 million, and we didn't yeah. get anything. Yeah. Yep, nothing. Yeah. Nothing was done.
0: So how do you define what you call the progressive racism movement? And what is this movement? And why is it anti-American in your
1: view? Oh, progressive racism. So progressive racism I like to describe as kinder, gentler racism. It's like racism with a smile. I mean, it's still racist, but, it's, but it has good intent. It's, it's touchy-feely. It's warm. It's like a hug. Ah, racism. <laughs> you know, so I compared to one of the most uh, virulent and most hated racists in our country's history, uh, John Calhoun. Yeah, there were lots of slave owners. Yeah, there were lots of racists. Yeah, there was other stuff. But not all of them were so far as they were selling it as a as a good. Like these blacks need us, right? I mean, so, so you're saying slavery is bad. If we didn't enslave them, they wouldn't even know how to eat or tie their shoes. They'd fall over on the ground without us because, you know, their brains are, you know, not developed. So most people would say that that's even worse than the regular slave owner because this person is just out of his mind. But but it sounds really, if you switch the words around a little bit, massage it, how's that different from the racism from the left? So the racism from the yeah. left today, the progressive racism will say that um Blacks are uh, in the criminal justice system, in a disproportionate number. True. And it's because of racism. I mean, well, are they guilty? Well, it's not their fault that, that they did it. Like, so, so white man knocks over a liquor store, we say, give him 20 years. A black guy does it. They say, well, we need to find out what his background is like. You got a factor, you got a factor in the history of slavery. He's black. Basically, he can't help himself. So, what we do is we have to be careful yeah. to him, we don't lock him up. You know, we have to find other programs because if we lock them up just for robbing a liquor store, we'd have to lock up all the blacks because the blacks rob liquor stores. That's what they do. It's in their culture. Right. So you can't really. So. So how is that any race more or less racism than anything else? So that's what I describe it as. It's the kind that says, well, black people are poor, but not all of them. In fact, not the majority. But black people can't get an education book. Uh, yeah, I would say the percentage of whites who graduate college is higher than blacks, but not much higher. And it's not 50%. Most people think it is. Um, so all of these things that they think that that's how they describe black life. When, you know, a couple months after, maybe a month or so after George Floyd died, may have the this, this, um, uh, I'm sorry, kind of campaign. I don't, I don't remember yeah. what it was called. I, I need to remember it though. It was the black and white soft, uh, um, commercial with all of these actors, um, and yes, like, oh, yes. Julianne Moore. Like, I I, I I feel so sorry, right? And then what and then Julianne Moore is the one I remember gets on there and said, Black people are dying in their homes and in the streets. All of us? Really? <laughs> We're all dying in the street? Because I know a lot of Look, I'm telling you, I, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. I know a lot of black people. Lot. I don't really know any of them that been dying in the street. I don't know who these people are. So to act like this, so where there's a problem it should be addressed and fixed, but to act like that's just what, I mean, these white people think black life is terrible. Here's a great example. This is how, you know, you can go look it up. There's several people have done it. One memorable one was when Mark Lamont Hill had Chris Rufo oh. and asked him about whiteness, right? So he was supposed to say what he likes about being white and what he traded for black, it's a trap question because it's just like people who use statistics in a negative way and they, and they twist them to, to, to their own, um, satisfaction. So yes, it may be difficult. Uh, if, if Chris was true, t- being 100% truthful and he wasn't worried about you know uh, racism uh, claims and things of that nature and, and accusations, he would have said, no, I like being white. And they would go, oh. but what they leave out is I've asked the same question to many Black people. And I have yet to have one Black person like, man, I'd much rather be a white man. I hate yeah. Yeah. yeah being black. They all say they love being black. So, so, but they ignore the yeah. fact that they love being black, but they're not offended by white people telling them that black life is horrible. Right. right. So this is what progressive uh, uh, racism is. It's the type of the only it's the, the difference between them and John Calhoun is John Calhoun believed it. So he felt he needed to enslave. They believe it. So their intent is different. So we want to let, let more people out of jail. So, of course, anybody in jail wants to be out of jail. But the reason we're doing it is, is because you can't help yourself. We want to teach people blacks differently. You know, New York City and a lot of other cities are going to this culturally relevant math and English. And what is that? We're going to teach math and English in the way because we, we there's a gap. The gap is true. They're right about that. We should close it. I agree with them there. We should close it. But in order to close it, we need to know why. Okay, why is the gap? I'm listening. Well, the reason there's a gap between blacks and white is because we're teaching the way that white supremacy, English and math, the way white people learn it, which is different from blacks. So if we teach blacks the way they learn it, then you can close the gap. Well, that's John Calhoun because you just said (laughs) that blacks are different. You know, I had a call with my son's principal who gladly uh, retired because she was one of the biggest progressive races I had ever met. Openly on the Zoom call with other people on it, saying all this, you know, touchy feely, progressive, black people need this stuff. You Blacks need, blacks need, blacks need, by the way. I was the only black man on the no. So I said, Listening to your conversation seems pretty weird. So just to get a fine point, I want to ask you a question Do you think blacks are inherently different than whites? And do you think that we are all oppressed? Not during slavery, not Jim Crow, but today. She said, Yes. To which I said, how exact, you open this call by saying you're going to treat us all the same. But that's not possible, really. How could you even do your job well? You would be wrong to treat my kid the same as the other kids when you just openly said he's different. If he's different, you have to treat him differently. So that's what it is. Progressive racism is, general, you know, um, racism.
0: You know, it's so interesting that you say that because, again, if you've listened to the show enough, you know that I bang this over and over and over, but there was a case in the northeast uh, and it was the firefighters and they had to dumb down the test because they weren't getting enough people of color to, uh, you know, be in the higher ranks. And so they dumbed down this test. And so one of the white firefighters sued. And my daughter got really upset about that because she was saying, you know, you don't have to dumb down any tests because, you know, again, the whole racism thing. I mean, just that to me saying, well, I'm not as smart as you are. Therefore, I have to have a test that is easier. Um, And so explain to me how that isn't inherently right. How am I supposed to feel about that? That, oh, yeah, okay, I got this opportunity that I can advance. But you're saying that I'm dumb because you have to make the test easier for me that's the soft bigotry of low expectations that really bothers me and the fact that there are people as you've alluded to that um you know this whole white fragility thing where there are allies i hate that word because that means that i need you to come alongside of me and interpret for me and explain for me um and because of your support now my cause is legitimate now I can get uh, it out there to more people. Because you came alongside of me. I can't do that on my own. I need you as an ally to help me. So it's just all of these kinds of things, to your point. It's just like these little things, these they're so big on microaggressions, and they don't realize the number of microaggressions that they commit on a daily basis. I mean, it's just baffling. And if I were the kind of black person that, you know, just wrote down every little thing that they, you know, I mean, there was that woman, I can't remember, she's a professor who uh, believes now that we need to have mental health days because dealing with all the office Karen's is so exhausting. You know, I mean, I just, I can't deal with all the white people because they just drain me. And so now I need extra mental health days and I need extra time off and I need my own space. Well, then you know what, if I'm a hiring manager and I see an ethnic sounding name on a resume, I might put it in this pile. Not because I'm racist, but because I don't want to have to be giving you mental health days off every you know couple of weeks or or whatever it is, because you're so exhausted dealing with my stuff.
1: Well, no one likes the word ally but the allies themselves, first of yes. all. Yes. And I wanna I wanna you know play a little devil's advocate. What they okay. will say is you say that that uh lowering expectations is basically saying blacks are dumb no no you aren't dumb but because of systemic racism and because of uh the whites have white privilege and all of that You have been put into a position where you cannot succeed.
0: Okay, well, let me, I'm going to be devil's advocate back to you and say, who has been in charge of our educational system in the urban areas for the last 60 years? Do you know of a Republican mayor of Oakland, California? Do you know where there was a Republican mayor in Baltimore or Detroit or some of these other places, you know, in the last generation, let's be generous and say maybe the last 25 years. Where has, in these failing school systems, where has there been a Republican mayor? Well,
1: well we will acknowledge that, and we, we're going to do yeah. better. Now we're going to do better. Yeah,
0: yeah we're going to throw a lot of money at it, and Johnny still can't read. And in Baltimore, those 23 schools where the kids are failing at math, and of course, if you Google it, this is the truth. Math is racist, as as, as you pointed out earlier math is how is math racist i mean two plus two is four i mean that's like there is no interpretation that you can put on that there's no well you know if you lived in a slave cabin you know 200 years ago then two means something else than it means now you know because i mean language has changed you can say the word let um, used to mean loosened and now it means something else. Okay, you could say that words have changed in the last whatever it is. But numbers haven't. I don't understand how that's racist.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um and and like I say I'm a solutions guy, so it's not helpful. That's the issue. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So okay. So we find that the people who are involved in these seemingly disparate Leftist crusades, like open, open borders, uh, climate change, trans activism, all of this, uh, are all to varying degrees Marxists. That's That seems to be the common denominator. To them, there seems to be no problem that can't be fixed with the uh, elimination of capitalism, which I find ironic since they bought all the mansions with the VLM money. Right. but you know, I digress. That makes too much sense. Is this true of pro- the progressive racism movement as well?
1: I would say it is. I don't know if they all consciously acknowledge it. I don't know if they are. Some do, of course. I don't know if they're all saying, well, I've been studying up on Marxism and I believe that's the way to go. I think the academics in their, in their, in their uh, group have, and they follow them. Um, the problem is that if you look at it closely enough, we know they don't really believe it. I mean, you talked about the mansions, but nicole hannah jones is rich candy Kendi, candy's rich yeah um they don't give their books away for free no so, or their
0: speeches uh, yeah
1: right right yeah. They, they 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 you know what yeah the library went broke trying to pay nicole hannah jones so yeah <laughs> so they don't really believe it but it's 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 just this overall anger and misplaced uh understanding of capitalism so they're angry about the system whether they're right or wrong they are uh, slavery was bad, but it, it did not end there. Jim Crow, it did not end. They just shift-shaped it. Shape-shifted. Uh, shape, shifted, that's what did. They shape-shifted and just changed the way they were doing it. And so now it's the same thing as it always been, just a different way. So if you believe that, then, like I said earlier, if there's a problem, how big you think that problem is will dictate how you try to fix it. So, of course, they think everything is so bad they're going to say, burn it all down. So the Marxism is just a way to burn it all down. They're not really conscious about what they're going to replace it with. As long as it's gone, yeah. we'll do better. But um, it's doomed to fail. One, uh, the biggest reason, really, is not even the racism. It's the fact that they're trying to uh, fix humanity, human nature, and people are going to always act the way people do. So even in their little... Marxist enclaves that could be all black and all atheists and all climate changers—you're still going to have somebody who's jealous. You're still going to have somebody who is stealing, who is trying to uh, rise up to power and things of that nature. That's not going to go away because that's just normal. But I also think that uh, they're wrong about you know intersectionality is pretty interesting to me. Is that I think that that's one of the things that now see most people on the right don't like it which i get but i also think it's the thing that's that that makes it hard they don't realize it but it makes it harder for them to achieve it so it's like the we disagree on some uh, i mean we agree on an issue so we kind of partner but it doesn't mean we agree on everything so when the muslims who don't like the right about something and you know let's say you're 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 anti-Semitic and you're not a fan of Jews and so you got the the anti-Zionist white uh, academic left. So you come together on that issue but then at some point as you're fighting that issue, one of those uh, Muslims going to turn and be like, uh, why are you dressed like a girl? Right? It's like, no, we don't like your type. Be like, But we're fighting the same fight. No, 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 no. I don't like them, but I also don't like you. Right? At some point, I don't know if you saw the recent um, thing they, they they put out about a week and a half ago saying that and all this stuff with racism, the country's systemically racist, racism, racism. We got to do something about racism, blacks, blacks, blacks. Now all of a sudden they come up with this thing saying black men have black male privilege. So they have a list of all these things that black men can do that black women can't do because black men are privileged. Oh, now we're privileged. Well, the last time I checked, even if I buy, give you your argument and buy your narrative and say the country's wholly racism, common sense would say they're way more racist against black men than black women. I mean, those are the people who get shot. Those are the people who go to jail. Those are the people who, all these other things. Those are the people who aren't graduating college and all the other. But now you come out and say black men have, are part of the patriarchy. So it will never end because they're trying right. to, you know, cancel human nature, trying to fix everything. And every time they, it's like the butterfly effect. Every time they move something, they change something else. So now, um So intersectionality is really a tool that the right should be using. They should be pointing out that, oh, yeah, you know, you you say the country's racism. So you're trying to go out to the black community, and bring the black community towards you to fight against these racists on the right. But most blacks on average don't like open borders and illegal immigration and they don't like the trans movement. So what happens when they find? So what you do on the right is you point that out. It's like, yeah, you're right, uh, Tyrone. Tyrone. you're fighting against this race and stuff. What do you think about the trans issue though? What do you think about the open borders? Ah, oh, the illegals are taking our jobs. I'm like, well, so you either have to fight with the races on the right or the people who are open borders and transitioning your against. You can't get both because they're on the polar opposites on that issue.
0: They must not like when they, when they have to talk to you. <laughs>
1: Here, it's,
0: like all the, uh, you know that meme with the guy so the, with the sweating and he doesn't know what button to press. It's
1: like right, right. It's so fun because I <laughs> that's what I do. I don't. I mean, the one. I mean, it's bad. And I wish it would stop because it's hurting my kids. But the one benefit of this intersectionality piece is so when I talk to my friends, when I talk to the Uber driver, because one of the things I tell people to, to do when you say, "What can you do?" is talk to everybody. And they're like, "How?" So I'm just gonna get into a political fight. No, no, no. I didn't say because my issue is the cultural issue, and the and the politics will follow. So you just ask them stuff. You, you're in the Uber and you listen to what they're listening to. And that might tell you a science. You hear a conversation. So you just ask these questions. And when they reply, their reply would tell you that they don't believe in X, Y, Z. And so you just hit that one thing hard. You don't make it right or wrong, uh, uh, right or left. I mean, I'm sorry. You just say, okay. So you don't think the kids should be doing that? Oh, you got kids in school says, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's really bad. Well, are they doing it at your school? Yeah, they are. Have you got any? Other- yeah. So what do you do about it? I don't know. I mean, I'm considering taking them out. But uh, Well, do you know who's uh, pushing that? I mean, I mean, have you? Is what is your congressman or your alderman or the person that's closest to you politically? Are they helping you fight against that or are they supporting it? No, they're supporting it. Well, would you would you vote for them or would you vote for somebody who you know is that kind of thing? So you just add these ask the probing questions to get them to understand who's doing it. And One of the things I point out most is the Equality Act, which I think is going to be detrimental to the country and uh, particularly to women and to the black community. Yes, yes, And most people don't know about it. So when I tell them, my friends like you're making that up. So they look it up and they're shocked. Right? No, totally against that. And I say, okay, one more step, please. I'm not going to tell you who because I don't want you to think I'm guiding you. Look up. It's been voted on in the House in the past, but it failed. I would like you to look up how many votes it got, 200 and something votes, and who voted for it, how many Republicans and how many Democrats voted for it. And when they, they call me back and they're like, so it almost passed, and every person who voted for it was a Democrat. I'm like, yeah. And they're shocked by that. They're like, I didn't know this was happening. Yeah, because you're listening to clickbait and Trump. Yeah. yeah it's
0: just, Maybe it's you it's like people- find out what's going on. It's just like when you tell people that you know it was the Republicans that were for the Civil Rights Act ten years before it ever went uh, before it was ever signed into law, and it was the Republicans. You know, it's it's shocking. Oh, but the Southern Switch and oh, yeah, you know that was yeah yeah. It's kind of crazy. So
1: I write about that like, in the like, book too. When I in the, so in the book I do an essay on every um, sixteen nineteen project essay, and there was an essay about called undemocratic democracy. And, it was, and I liked it because they slipped up and actually uh, made a mistake, telling the truth, of course, and pointed out something they didn't realize they were pointing at. Because, you know, I call them emotionally weak and inte- intellectually lazy surface thinkers. So they're thinking on the surface. If they'd gone down one level, they would have caught this and maybe rewrote it. So the point was to say how the right was bad and then Obama came in and they tried to gerrymander and change all this stuff to go against Obama. all. Partially true. What, what reason I say partially because in the, in the places where it did happen, they did do that specifically to, but they didn't do it to write out black votes. They did it to write out Democrats. True. Problem is, where the Democrats are in control, they do it there too, and they didn't mention that. So Chicago, Michigan, Michigan, and California all did the exact same thing just to Republicans, and nobody complained. But I digress. So as I go through this, they're talking about this stuff, and so every, like you say, every Democrat that that every person that brings up the the. the Republicans being you know, more pro-Black, they say there was this switch and now they in, in doing Nixon because he was tough on the crime. And ever since then, all the Republicans were whatever. So in this essay, they said it was funny. It was one line, but I sharp enough to catch it. Check it out. They said that in North Carolina, um, a former Confederate state, they had to throw that in, which actually hurt them if you're a logical thinker. Former con- uh, Confederate state, North Carolina, Got control. The Republicans got control of the state legislature for the first time in 100 years, and then blah, blah, blah. They started to do all these things to um, limit democracy and to hurt Democrats and to hurt the Black vote. Give them the argument. Just assume that's why they did it. They're racist, and that's why they did it. Don't even have that argument. Here's the better argument. You just said, Mr. 1619 uh, man, that that was the first time in 100 years that the Republicans had control of North Carolina, the state legislature. Legislature. You also said that it was a former Confederate state, but I thought the South had switched. So, if North Carolina is in the South, and the Republicans had not had control for a hundred years, then who's the other party that was in control? Because there's only two. <laughs> uh, and oh, by the way, uh, Jimmy Carter won in what year? What year did Jimmy Carter? So, so the switch happened in the '60s, and it took about a, a few years, six to eight years. So, by 1970. All the South was right-wing zealots voting for, for Republicans, not Democrats. Okay. Then help me help explain to me how in when Jimmy Carter won, he's from uh, Georgia, he won the South. And when he lost to Reagan, he still won the South. Reagan didn't win. The Republican first Republican that won the South was Reagan's second term. But Reagan won in 84 and 88. But you said the switch happened in the 70s, but the Democrats were still winning the South. You're lying. They're lying to you. They are lying to you. Not to mention that one person switched parties, a couple people stepped down. All the rest of the Democrats in the state kept winning. Exactly. Democrats. So how did the Democrats win statewide office and win all these con- congressional seats in states that were uh, red and and as, 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 as flipped to, to Republicans? Because it's not true. But I'm sorry, I got off on the rack.
0: No, that, that's that's exactly right. That's how we need to push back. Because a lot of the hoo-ha that they come up with, uh, they just don't think that maybe the soft bigotry of low expectations, again, that we would be in possession of facts. Uh, but yeah, to push back and, and and trap them and say, you know, you got to bring your A game if you're going to talk to me about this. And they'd never do.
1: Well, so, Biden anyway. was right about one thing, a <laughs> great president. He said that... Uh, because the the reason we can't really get them on these issues is because you know as blacks we can't we don't have access to the internet. Because if we could get access to the internet, we can dispel a lot of this stuff. So I'm hoping that one day, hopefully Biden will win a second term, and in his second term, in his inaugural address, he'll promise to get all the blacks the internet. It's
0: the internet, I know. You know, here's yeah. the other thing. You know, if we could just get ID cards, then we could vote. Because you know our votes are suppressed i don't know ami Ami horowitz Horowitz went to new york somewhere and he's talking to people and he's all these black people do you have id in this one lady are you crazy of course i have id i can't cash my check in the bodega if i don't have id i can't go to the doctor i can't get my prescriptions do you know i have traveled to atlanta which is a heavily black population right airplane full of black folks how did they get on the airplane because you know very well
1: that you the cannot... black they
0: show <laughs> the black say, you must have because there is no way that you can get on an airplane i don't care how black you are you cannot get on an airplane by just saying oh well i'm black and you know i'm too stupid to get an id and i you know i'm poor and i can't afford them you know it's just like i have never seen an airplane full of black people that got on an airplane without id but yet we are suppressing the black vote. That doesn't make sense to me. And these are big urban areas, where's the push for mail-in ballots for all these other kinds, I mean, to give people every kind of way to be able to vote, maybe more than once. Um, And yet they say, again, that that bigotry that's baked into, well, you know, either you're too poor, so the assumption is all black folks are poor, um, or you're too unintelligent or you're too whatever it is, you're too something. Um, And so you need us to craft these policies to help you. And again, it's that ally coming along to help me because, you know, it really is like, you know, when you pat the little black child on the head kind of thing um, that's insulting. It's like, I, I need you to help me.
1: Well, I, I think it goes back to, this goes back to progressive racism. Because yeah. What they'll say is, yeah. yes, you see planes full of black people, but that's the black elite. Those are the few handful <laughs> of blacks that you don't see them on the plane. You just see, you know, the, the talented 10th on the planes. That would be their argument. The average black man can't get on a plane, just so you know.
0: You grew up in Gary. I grew up in San Francisco. Let's just say that I am, you know, well-versed in the ways of my people and I've never been on an airplane. I mean, you know, it's true that you will see the business class, but they're not all from the business class. So that's just, I don't know. Uh, It's insulting. And the other thing, you know, I want to talk to you about because you state that the problems that black face in low income neighborhoods are on display daily. They are discussed at community meetings and public hearings across the country, but black lives matter is rarely a part of these conversations. They fan the flames of police hatred, but rarely take an active role in improving conditions for those struggling in the community. And if their absence in the community wasn't bad enough, Blacks are beginning to point out that they have not seen any signs of the millions of dollars, as we've discussed, that Black Lives Matters collected on their behalf. Now, my cousin and I got into a little kerfuffle, and it was after the death of, I think it was um, Freddie Gray. And um, he was saying that, you know, don't you feel like, you know, you need to talk to your, I mean, isn't it sad that you have to talk to your black sons about, you know, what happens if they drive while black and all that kind of stuff. And driving while black is a thing. I'm not gonna lie, that, that is a thing. Um, I think but, every
1: black person who drives drives yeah, while black. That's correct.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, that. but, you know, uh, but I said to him, I said, don't you think, and i'm just playing i'm pushing back here don't you think that watching mobs of black people pour gasoline on cars destroy businesses the majority of whom were black owned um and destroy these neighborhoods and loot uh don't you think do you think that that engendered goodwill with the white community that now, because that's been, that's been on the TV for seven, ten days, every single night, with these cities on fire, um, that now that a white woman sees you on the street, she's not going to clutch her person and walk around you. I mean, I, I don't understand how that's supposed to uh, engender goodwill.
1: It won't. Uh, the, the thing I like about the quote that you read, I forgot about, is that, you know, they act like if you're a conservative, you don't like black people and everything you say. Yeah. is there. I mean, I, I didn't see a white person until I was like 20, 20 something years old. I'm, I'm only half kidding. You know, Gary, Indiana, go look it up. It's a, it's not just a majority black town. It's a black town. Uh, yeah. I didn't go to school with a white kid uh, till my freshman year and she dropped out. So I didn't go to school with white people at all, at all. Not uh, every criminal, every drug addict, every drug dealer, every murderer that I ever saw. I saw on the news in my town were black, but so was every business the, the, owner. The, yes. Yes. Yeah, the, the mayor, the business. The law, yes. They were all all, all black principal because it was a black yes. town. So, yes. So to say, so when people joke, joke about the thing, you know, the people will say, we'll take your black card. I'll say, I'm from Gary. Get people from Gary exempt for having their black card taken. <laughs> we're so black. We're blacker than Atlanta and D.C. We're so black. <laughs> black yeah. Uh, so it's back then. We got a lifetime of cards. But what <clears throat> you said at the beginning of that quote, what I said that you said that I said when you read it, because I don't remember, was talking about, the, blacks talk about issues in the community, the community and meetings and this and the play It's because they act like we we, we say, uh, you know, because I see people debating on Twitter and say, that black conservatives are saying, you all don't care like BLM types. You all don't care about what happens in the black community unless somebody gets shot. You don't say a word until a, a white person shoots that, which is not true. And it does hurt when you hear it out of context. But I assume that to me, you don't, you, you know, left-wing MSNBC, you know, professor George georgetown they don't mean black people, of course people in the community. So I like the quote, cause I'm openly saying in the book. So when those people don't agree with me, try to say, I don't like black people openly saying that black people in the community are talking about these issues all the time. They're concerned yeah. about these issues all the time. Yes. They complain about shootings all the time. They all go to the, the police all the time. But what they don't do is say defund them. So, yeah, so that's it's right. counter- the counter of what you're saying is what like you talk about is it it does it engender goodwill. No, it hurts. So, while BLM got all this press and they're screaming defund the police and and people who are less intelligent and less genuine are saying, yeah, that's a great idea. The people in the community are like, no, we need more police. We want better police. I don't want you pulling me over just because I'm black. But yes, I want police here. You know, I want more police. So the fact that the average black person is sounding more like us than like them is telling. But to what it does, it hurts for a lot of reasons. It It hurts because it makes you ignore other ways you can solve the problem as I mentioned before. It hurts because if I'm already a racist and I already think, you know, a suspect of blacks and then I see a bunch of them burning the burning down a police station, of course I'm gonna be more concerned. So all it does is create more racism. Just like yes. it's just like the trans thing is crazy. I, I get in arguments with people who are gay or support the gay community and saying, forget about what your beliefs on trans or whether people should be what should be these laws and all that stuff. I just mean from a cultural, logical, human, emotional standpoint. We had gotten to a point in the late 90s, early 2000s on race, on um, LGBTQ uh, issues, on all that stuff. Very few people were gay bashing. Very few people were having these racist incidents. People, there were black TV shows, there was gay TV shows that nobody cared. People who didn't like it, didn't watch it, but nobody cared, everything was fine. You tried to fix it, you made it worse. And now you're allies on the, on the, on the as we call it, quote unquote, for like LGBT community. Are now pushing back against you. Now people who were totally tolerant are less tolerant. Why? Because they're homophobic. No, because they're tired of you pushing it in their face all the time. So and their kids. Did they didn't care, but so you touch so, my so, kid so, and it's on. But, yeah, but it's not even a kid thing. I'm in New York as as you said, so I'm sure there's plenty in New York. Now they won't all say it because it's uh, you know not you know PC to say, but I'm gonna be honest. You know, I worked in the restaurant industry for uh, 20 years. I had me and my friends, we all had gay friends. We all went out to drink with them afterwards. Sure. We went on vacation with some of the couple. Nobody cared, right? But I have a problem with the government deciding, because, you know, you get more of what you incentivize, draping a whole train with the gay flag, saying yes. gay is wonderful. Gay is not. So, so. you know, obviously for religious people, gay is bad. But even if you're secular and you're like, gay not bad. It doesn't mean it's good, it's just a thing, it's just what you are. It's not something to be celebrated. To go around celebrating everything, people will get turned off by it. Now, obviously, people are seeing the extremes on Twitter with the naked people and the parades and the trans stuff is a separate issue. But I just mean forget about the trans. Just gay men, gay, you know, lesbians in a relationship living their lives. Nobody cares, leave me alone. You see them down and say, Hey, how you doing? The moment that Everything and well, why are there not more in the shows? Why are there not more singers? Here's the first uh yeah. singer with a platinum album, first gay singer with a double platinum album. When you start doing that, it's just like uh enough already. And that so just like that will turn people who used to be your ally off burning stuff down on TV. It's never a yes. good look, you know. And, and if you want exactly. to be honest about it, part of the reason the reason why I don't know if you, I'm sure you know some people. I have, I talk about this all the time. I have affluent friends in my circle who are black. They're now sixty, So they're older, they're educated, they're successful, they're living their best life. But they buy into this, you know, everything's bad narrative. And I'm like, but your life is great. Why? And and if you step back and think about it, they have become, this is how you know racism is going away because the black upper middle class has been elevated to white ally status. So what they're doing is they're stepping out of their blackness and they're looking in and, and and they're basically black Julianne Moore. They're saying, yeah, my life is great, but I would assume most black people are poor. Most black people are edu- uneducated. Most black people. So, you know, anybody in your, in your circle that's like that? No, 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 we're good. But I'm like, but all the other black people and what it is. It's, if it's just natural human nature. If you're watching the news and every perp walk is black, go back to the late seventies, early eighties, black person going to jail on the news. Then you tell "All right, I don't want to stop watching this news. I'm gonna watch a TV show. And everybody's got a huggy bear. They all got a, a drug dealer, a criminal <laughs> informant, all of this crime. Then you make a bunch of slave movies, right? At some point, whether you're black, white, or black, you're gonna start to believe that because that's all you see. So it's gotten so bad that it's warped their mind that in their reality, they live in affluent neighborhoods they drive expensive cars they the they hit and are the h-e-n-i-c at work and then they come home pull the covers up and they shake it like it's, it's so hard being black you ask them for uh, examples they can't give you one all they can give you is examples of other people and i'm not saying that's not bad but those are one-offs so what they say is george floyd died, freddie gray got thrown in the back of a van uh, what else you got? Uh, I saw something in California the other day that this happened. No, give me something real world. If it's so prevalent, as Melissa Harris Perry said once, it's been a few years, but I love this one. Racism is as ubiquitous as rain. So if it's everywhere, give me something in your life. When was the last time you dealt with it? I don't remember. Your son, don't remember. Your cousin, I don't know. But it's everywhere. How can it be everywhere? You're a black man and you don't remember the last time it happened. Because it's not everywhere. It's that's not right lying.
0: It is
1: we can probably fix it to a point. We're never going to eliminate it. All we want to do is when they break the law, they get, we get justice and they go to jail. But I don't need you to make it illegal and fire every white guy that says something you don't like. Quit being soft.
0: That's exactly right. And you know, I did remember that train of thought that I had. You know, to, to the point is that, okay, so Black Lives Matter has amassed all of this money now. Um, and it feels like a big Grift, right? Because as we've pointed out, not anything really got done with that money. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that engender goodwill? Because it reinforces the negative stereotypes that people have about us. So, how did that really truly help us? Because no money trickled down to us, so we didn't get that. And it looks like, oh, see, those black folks doing da-da-da-da-da-da-da again.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to make people not want to get money next time, which might be. Well, yeah. I don't know, but 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 I will say to the grifter thing, and I say this every time it comes up because I want to be clear: there are grifters out there. I think people overuse it, and everybody's not a grifter. I think many some of them are. And shockingly, this may shock you: I do not think BLM was initially. Now, what happened? What my honest take? I wasn't there, but I would assume the three lesbians got together. Uh, not he my started coming in. in. The three lesbians uh, got and he together. Started they in. Said, yeah. And they said, uh, Trayvon died, Michael Brown died. It's really bad. We should do something. So they truly wanted to talk about police brutality, right? I'm giving them their due. That's what I think happened. And this is conjecture, but, you know, you can tell me what you think. So that's what they're going to do. We're going to do some signs. We're going to do whatever we can. We're going to call up our friends and do something about this police brutality because we care. And then someone, an ally with a lot of money, saw that and like, how can I use this for my Marxist agenda? Well, they're not that bright, the blacks. So I'm gonna come up to So they go to the three lesbians. I'm sorry, I'm not being homophobic. They are the three lesbians. They, they, they put it out there first. It's all about their gender identity. So the three lesbians come out and they say, man, we're trying to find a this guy's like, you know what? I, I really like what you're doing. It's really impressive, but I think I can help it. And I don't want to really change your focus. Do your police thing, that's cool. But well, what if I can get you lots of money, lots of press, get you know, raise the level of your awareness of what you do? That'd be great, Mister Ally. What do I have to do instead? All you have to do is, you know, kind of decry traditional value, which you kind of do anyway because you're three lesbians. You 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 need to say you need to put BDS on your website. What's BDS? Well, it means boycott, divest, and sanction against uh, yes. Israel because we don't like the way the Jews are doing whatever. I don't know what that is, but if you're gonna give me a check for doing that, yeah, throw slap that on the site. And then like a couple other things. Okay, here's your five million dollars. And now the scope slowly over time that ally takes control, and so the the the, the goal of the organization gets co-opted. So, yes. technically I'm being fair to the three. The three of them weren't grifters at first. They truly cared about an issue. They were wrong about their approach, but they cared. And then somehow it got co-opted by some ally. That's my assessment of my research and going through all that. That's what I think happened. And then once the I'm gonna money agree start coming with in, you. It's hard, it's hard I'm gonna agree with me, you. Yes. Once it starts, I agree out, with you. We and look, and then it's like this. We tell, well, what do you want? You're so noisy. What do you want? We want you to rename a building. Okay, it's a new name. They said yes. Well, what do we do? I don't know. I ask for something else. We want <laughs> June 10th to be a federal holiday. Done. Keep asking <laughs> for stuff. We we want all the actors in every movie to be black. Well, we can't give you that, but we'll give you thirty with thirty percent, and we'll guarantee the ones that aren't black have black people on staff. This is great. Let's keep asking for stuff. That's what that. Fair we enough. Had no idea what the the, the white <laughs> eyes just kept saying yes, so they just kept asking. <laughs>
0: If you are just joining us, our guest this segment has been Charles Love. He is the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence and also co-host of the Cut the Bull podcast and the author of uh, the book Race Crazy, uh, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement. Charles, how can our listeners find you online and follow you? They can find me on
1: Twitter at C Douglas Love3, I think. I never look at my Twitter handle. I think that's it. Charles Love. How many others? It's like out?
0: calling yourself, right? It's just like you yeah. know uh, You can yeah. check out the
1: podcast, Cut the Bull Podcast. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen on all your favorite uh, podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Google, that kind of thing. Uh, I write periodically in different publications. Uh, lately, it's been, been in uh, news newsweeks, but you can just, you know, check me out and um, you know, buy the book the book before, the other book, buy all the books. If your school is pushing 1619, you you get them to buy the book and teach. Don't tell them to ban 1619 Project. No, we need to know what people think. Say, teach this and this right next to each other and then have a discussion. I think it'll blow people's mind. But thank you for having me. This has been great.
0: All right, and now we're gonna bring in DK. DK, hello.
2: Hey. How are you? I'm great. That was a great discussion. I I knew. I knew there would be great chemistry between you two. I've been watching. She got me fired up a couple of times. (laughs) She will do that. She will do that. I just want to put this on screen for a second. Uh, I was talking to Mr. Love uh, a little bit before the show, and and I was mentioning that, you know, reading the book, it brought back a lot of memories of back in 2020 after the Floyd. incident, the tra- Floyd tragedy, that I, like a lot of black men, l- really gave a serious look into BLM. I didn't want to be part of the knee-jerk anti-BLM reaction that you got from all the conservative websites. Um, I wanted to give them a fair shot because it sounded like something we needed as a people. You know, there's so many problems in, in black culture and black in the black community uh you know there's a high rate of uh crime in the black community there's a high rate of abortion there's the education gap which of course leads to the achievement gap and you know we talk about this almost every week it just goes on and on and i thought maybe blm would be the answer maybe they could be the modern day booker t washington's you know and and um as mr Charles love points out you just go to their website and find out what they're about and you saw right away they're not the solution um not only do they have a very heavily marxist world point of view openly marxist they also were ahead of their time and really pushing this trans agenda this is one quote from the BLM website that's that's in the book uh, race crazy i don't I think this has all been scrubbed from their website, strangely enough. I checked not too long ago. And why?
0: Why was it scrubbed?
2: Yeah. I don't know why they scrubbed so much. where did they have to lose it. But it's pressure. probably
1: not scrubbed from the Movement for Black Lives.
2: No, Movement for Black Lives, I was going to get to that, is still there. They're they're, mm-hmm. very, they're still very proudly, openly trans. But this was from the BLM website. I remember when I checked it out uh, a few years ago in 2020, but your book reminded me of It, it says- we foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heter- heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. And back, back then, 2020, um, I've, I've known a lot of gay people, of course, and I've known a lot of trans people, of course, but I've never really heard this language coming from anyone. I didn't even know what cisgender myth. i had to look it up and they they use some words uh this might be from the movement or BLN. his heteropatriarchy cis heteropatriarchy yeah. still not quite sure what that word means but
0: <laughs> well, and and to your point this whole thing um about the florida uh ap um african american studies course you know that it's baked into their uh education code that you have to teach about slavery i mean that's just you know you have to um but when has queer theory ever been a part of black history charles i i i don't ever remember studying about it or having that be a large part of of who we were as a people or any kind of movement as a people
1: yes never and so that's the know? problem with the narrative of the way, I mean, they control the narrative. Is because if you talk to average, the average people in the black community, even the ones who may be pro, obviously pro-black but and want black history talk, but even if they're pro-LGBTQ, tying it in together together yeah. pisses them off, but they don't know what's done. So they believe the narrative of the don't say gay bill, which is not true. And they believe that DeSantis was banning black history when it's legally ob- obligated to be taught there. Yes. And so when I, when I educate, I'm saying, you do realize this was part of the curriculum. No, I don't believe that. And then I say, go look it up. And then, I, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, then I agree with him. But it's too late. He's already smeared as a white supremacist, right? And so that's the problem. We are a clickbait society, so we don't pay attention to any of the other stuff. So we have to find a way to get this information into people's hands.
2: Yeah, I definitely wanted to mention that, you know, the, the AP, African-American Studies Program, really focused on queer theory in a way that sounded strange to a lot of people not really studying this issue. Because um, because to people who have a casual look at BMM, they think it's all about, as you mentioned in the book, all about priest brutality. You know, Black people are being killed in their homes. They're being killed at, um, by, uh, police who are just hunting them but that seems to be a very small part of their agenda they want um they want a certain uh they're on a crusade for a certain marxist trans friendly uh agenda and it's, it goes across the left you know you, you hear the same language coming from a lot of climate change people How how American capitalism is destroying the world because we're emitting too much of this, or we're, there's too much gas coming from this and that. And there's, um, you hear it a lot from uh, Antifa and, and, and so forth. So, just wanted to point that out that, you know, the, so, so much of the trans agenda, the language we hear nowadays, uh, really came from uh, BLM. They were ahead of their time in that respect.
0: Well, this has been another great episode of African-American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. Charles, thank you so much for being our guest today. We hope to have you back.
1: I would love to. Thank you very much.
0: And so this is Marie this signing is off from of Studio C. This is DK. And we'll see you next time on African-American Conservatives. Please be sure to go to acons.substack dot com and subscribe to our podcast and all of our social media platforms take care next time thank you for listening to this episode of African American conservatives the soul of the conservative movement you can find us online at acons.substack.com anchor.fm forward slash aacons and also you can support our work at anchor dot fm forward slash a a c o n s forward slash support